Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Ag Direct. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or private seller, Ag Direct is built for agriculture empowered by farm credit. Ag Direct offers competitive rates in the most ag friendly terms in the business. Ask your dealer for Ag Direct or apply online at agdirect.com. Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. And this podcast is powered by Randall Riley. All right, guys, Sean Hackett here from Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean, how you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty good, Casey. Doing pretty good here in uh, very, very chilly uh, Indiana, Siberia. And, uh, you know, it looks like um, it'll be pretty chilly through Friday. And then I finally uh, uh, get home to uh, uh, Rainforest, Florida at 82. So, <laughs> a little bit of the extremes come with uh, come come uh, pounding, right? They had yeah. uh, you weren't kidding about this weather pattern that you've been talking about for a while. That this mild start to winter, and then man, just come in and rip your face off. Uh, winter conditions that we saw. So we we started this pattern probably what, Wednesday or Thursday of last week, and it's, it's usually when this kind of stuff comes through. We don't see it last as long as we've seen it here and, and get as far south as we've seen it get. Um, I was watching the Weather Channel the other day uh, while I was in uh, eating breakfast at the hotel, and they were talking about guys in uh, Mississippi, and you know, it was 11 degrees in Mississippi, and that's might as well be negative 22. Uh, Tallahassee, so. where, my, where my daughter goes to school at FSU, uh, mm-hmm. 24 degrees, which is pretty chilly for uh, the Panhandle of yep. Florida. So. Yep. Yeah, so it, this this weather pattern that you've talked about is is really impacting a lot of things. Travel was crazy last week. We start looking at air travel and those kind of things, and you start looking at all the other things that came along with it. The amount of snow that came out of the storm too was another. With the cold air the way it was, you typically don't see this kind of snow come out of many that areas. Cold air uh, many areas, yeah. uh, especially in, in more of the easter easterly areas, had more snow in the last week than they had the entire winter last year. So yeah. Um, that's the good news, right? 
The bad news is that after a brief um, pause later this month, a little warm up, uh, kind of a recharging of the atmosphere, we're we're currently immersed in another sudden stratospheric warming event like we discussed we were in mid-December. And what happens when you get multiple SSW events back-to-back, they become cumulative in nature, which means the onset of another cold snap after a second or tertiary SSW event become more severe uh, in terms of cold, more severe in terms of snow, and the duration also lasts longer. So we think probably sometime by the by later in the first week of February, we could be uh, having a more extreme event that will probably last the rest of the month of February and, and, and carry on into mid-March before you know, we might... Uh, we might get a reprieve. So as, as much as this warm-up that's coming is going to be uh, uh, appreciated by many, it's really just a uh, a bump in the road to uh, an ongoing extreme uh, winter from, uh, you know, from January through March, despite a very warm December. And that means our heating degree days are going to be um, top five for the winter. And obviously our demand for natural gas and, and especially heating oil, because we think that this next round that's coming in February is going to be really nasty for the Northeast where the heating oil market just goes crazy because that's how they keep themselves warm up there is with the heating oil and, and diesel and such forth. So it's, uh, and of course, remember, this is going to parlay into a fall spring, which is a brief, uh, fall spring in April that mm-hmm. leads to a, uh, elevated risk for a late planting season freeze hard freeze here in the first half of may this is uh you know as we've talked about before probably our highest probability year for something like that in in, in many many decades so it's um uh, it's the nature of uh of, of uh, this weather volatility uh period that we've entered into this rental jet stream that's a result of the sun going quiet and uh and this polar vortex continuing to get destabilized where pieces of that polar vortex come down and pay a visit in places it ought not to be. So Right. Yeah, it's uh it's very I've talked to two different people now. I was in Milwaukee on Monday and they got I don't know how two almost two feet of snow out of one storm up until they had zero on the ground. And then they had uh a friend of mine that lives in Des Moines had uh, two big, three big storms come through there. One was a snow squall, but the other two were playing. And I want to say they got, you know, a couple feet of snow as well. So well, how many times did they ever cancel an NFL game? And they can't, they canceled the, yeah, the, 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 yeah. the, uh, the Buffalo Bills game <laughs> by one day. I mean, they never cancel football. They play no matter what. Right. And they, yep. and they, and they canceled the game because they, nobody could travel. So yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> for the NFL not to play. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. It was very, uh, very unique for sure, to say the least. There, so, all right, Sean. Let's talk about this. We got a couple of uh, questions that came in from listeners. Uh, this one came from Wheat King One on YouTube. Uh, I need some good news here, Mister Hackett. How long until the biodiesel demand starts kicking in for our demand for soy oil, and in his case, canola? Well, I don't really, you know, with the EPA uh, last June. Uh, came out with a bombshell disappointment where they uh, backed away from aggressive uh, subsidy uh, mandated targets uh, that everyone thought they were going to be more aggressive with. And from from that moment forward, the bean oil market fell out of bed price-wise. 
and everyone's expectations for biodiesel, the demand for biodiesel and such forth and so on was calibrated down. And you're just not going to get any headway until the elections are done, right? I mean, who are we going to have new, are we, are we going to change this policy while we have an election less than a year away? No. So I'm not, you know, look, plants that are going to go up that have them that are, that can produce uh, biodiesel within the mandate or produce it for California who is willing to pay a high enough price. I mean, that demand is there, but I don't see a major demand driven bump up this year until after the election. Now, if the Biden administration or if, if, if uh, someone from that administration uh, is the president, uh, you know, obviously, I think they'll push the pedal to the metal because they're very much supportive for green, for the green economy. If Trump or somebody uh, in that sphere, whoever the president might be, they're less um, on board with that kind of thing. So it's hardly hard to say right now. Uh, but but I but su- suffice to say, I don't see think we're going to see anything exciting for the demand for renewable diesel and bean oil for 2024, other than what's already been baked in the cake. It's not necessarily bearish, by the way, given where oil prices are. And, but, it, but I don't see a, a fresh, new, exciting, you know, bullish kick. Remember with the EPA decision was a three-year decision, unless they want to revisit it. Um, and that was made a year ago. So it's out there post to 2024 that we could see some some renewed excitement over maybe changes in that um uh, in that policy in, in fact i'm hearing more talk that they're going to make uh, jet fuel out of ethanol more so than that of biodiesel now i mean it looks to me like the push is that the ethanol is going to be um that they're really pushing for more use the ethanol to make uh jet fuel in fact a lot of the airline companies are uh, kind of putting a lot of money into the idea that, that they were going to go down this ethanol route. So it's a pretty murky situation in terms of what it means for soybean demand, bean oil demand, the crush. I really think at this point you have to be fairly agnostic about it and uh, just accept the demand that we know and um, and let the uh, political chips fall as we get through the election. And then once that happens, I think things will clear up very, very quickly about where we stand with all of this um, uh, alternative uh, diesel and and energy sector post election. So, right on. Okay, all right. Next one is from Hill Country Eleven. With the financial problems in the banks and the lack of profitability at the present prices, what does Sean think about the amount of planted acres there will be? And if if some acres and if some acres won't be planted due to banks or even farmer hesitation. Well, remember, we're we're about to set the reference price for insurance policies here in the month of February. If prices stay where they're at, and we we uh, print current reference prices where we are right now, uh, you're not going to plant marginal acres with that kind of a protective veil at this point, given the high prices we've had the last few years. It doesn't mean that the core acres won't get planted. The core acres will always get planted. If you put in hydrous down, it's a core acres, you know, you're, you're in the business of, of growing grain, but I, but clearly are you going to be uh, 
uh, planting the corners, the less uh, ideal ground. Is the fun, is, are the banks going to fund those kinds of, uh, of marginal acres? They abs- absolutely positively not going to do that. Um, and especially if we have um, some kind of a disruptive planting season where we have some kind of a frost, replantings are not going to be uh, meant very, very kindly by uh, banks who have to fork out more money to go replant. So the answer to the question is core acres are always going to get in the ground, but we're certainly not going to plant that an extra marginal acre. And so that's going to definitely bring the numbers down on both corn and soybeans from what they were last year. If these reference prices get printed in February where they are now in court, you know, in our opinion. Okay. Makes sense. All right. Let's you've, you've talked about natural gas on the last three podcasts. Let's spend a little time talking about natural gas and what you see happening there. So when you're looking at the, um, the overall <clears throat> spectrum, what we saw here. So just, quick history here so we're back down to pre-covid levels of uh natural gas right now and if you are actually lower than pre-covid uh areas so when you're looking at <clears throat> the way things went huge spike up run up to over ten dollars come back down percent where we're at now uh we have this massive winter storm that came through that's going to require a lot of people to um use natural gas uh and heat oil like you talked about earlier to go that are we, are we are we getting ready to see a huge spike up in natural gas? I mean, something that's going to double or triple the price of natural gas over the course of the next three to six months? Let's, let's go back to where we started, right? Remember that we had uh, prices go down to those COVID levels in 2020. Production got hurt. Very, very hot summer. Psycho hurricane season in the Gulf. Everybody worried that we we're going to run out. Remember, because because supplies got low, yep. and then the Russia invasion, All right? And then we had a blowtorch winter last year. This blowtorch on both sides of the aisle, and that allowed the increased production from ten dollar natural gas to do its magic. And so we ended. We we started with extremely low inventories. We ended the winter last year with extremely high inventories. This summer was not particularly hot. Overall, let's put it this way: it wasn't as hot as it has been had been the prior couple of summers. It was warm in a lot of areas, but overall, it was not the hottest summer we've had. Um, a lot of the hydroelectric uh, electricity that was offline those prior years because of the drought out west were operating last year, which also took a little edge off. And um, and then we had a very very warm start here in the fourth quarter, low torch December. So we went into the season well above five-year average natural gas. And so everybody got bared up and said, no hope, no future. Um, and now we've entered the winter. That started really the first week of January. And, and, and our work says it's going to last at least through mid-March. It's going to be a top five cold winter. And demand is going to be you know, dramatically, dramatically higher than it was last year. Here and over in Europe, they've been also having a very cold winter. So when we end this winter, we, we, we view the end of winter as the end of March. Okay, When we end this winter, we believe our inventories are going to be well below the five-year average. The problem is La Nina is coming back. And that means we're going to have a much, much hotter summer here in the U.S. We're going to have drought conditions start to return to the central north, central west, central northwest. Uh, which is going to start to impact hydro. We're expecting a hyperactive Gulf of Mexico hurricane season coming up 
We know what happens when we get too much activity in the Gulf. They, they send all the crews home who are drilling out in the, in the deep waters there of the Gulf. And of course we have the issue with the uh, LNG facilities and all that sort of thing. So this, and then of course we're expecting the winter next year or the, you know, the winter that's coming to start early. So when you run all that, all that math through Casey, uh, well, look, we're not going to run out of natural gas this winter, but we, but we could be in a very, very precarious situation come the fourth quarter of this coming year. And so it, there's a possibility that we could find ourselves in a similar type of supply demand mismatch as we saw coming out of, uh, coming out of COVID and, um, and find ourselves right back, to, right back where we started wondering if we're going to be able to make everything work again. So, so I really think that, um, you know, those that are in the need, that are in need of physical natural gas, propane, um, I, I just, you know, nitrogen-based fertilizers. I just, I just think that you're going to look back at this this period of um, of low prices, and um, and if and, and if you don't do something to lock in these physical prices, I think you're going to wish you'll be forever wishing that you had. You know, I mean, we had that 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 one gift during COVID that I did. I personally did not think we'd ever see again. A shame on me for saying that. And um, and now we have a second shot at the apple. Um, but I just think that if you're thinking this through logically through the long-term business plan and any business plan, these kinds of uh, economic prices for natural gas and natural gas derivatives with the scenario I just played out and the scenario playing out going forward, um, it just makes too much sense not to, um, take full advantage of that opportunity. And we always talk about this in our presentations that weather volatility means there's upside volatility and there's downside volatility, meaning both sides get a ch chance to do something smart, either selling the crop or buying your input. Right now we're getting a really exciting opportunity on natural gas derivative uh, prices on the buy side uh, for physical uh, inventory. So that's the scenario. And, uh, and while we've had this initial run up in natural gas and a little give back here, um, if we're correct about February being colder, longer, and snowier, especially in the eastern half of the country, uh, you know, natural gas prices are not done pri pricing in a much, much tighter reality than the reality they've been pricing due to the warm December and the blowtorch winter from last year. Right on. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Lastly, let's finish up with uh, so China. Let's talk about China here a little bit. Uh, there is a this fear that China is on full bore implosion, stock markets stock markets crashing. They've been fighting the their version of the 2008 crisis for the past six or seven months. Um, there's this impending, looming uh, issue with Taiwan, uh, especially with the new president that came in. He made it pretty clear that they're going to do things. They're, they're not part of China, you know. He said that, and we're we're going to continue to be like that. So, uh, guys, back off uh, with that whole idea and. So a lot of things going on with China. A lot of people are running from what's happening with China with, um, I guess, like you talked about, we started that there could be another Chinese embargo type deal, uh, trade war, those kind of things. Uh, if something like this does continue to happen. So I guess, Sean, talk about your perspective, what you see happening in China right now and, and some of the, I guess, some of the wheels that are turning that could greatly change what we see happening in the commodity market right now. Well, remember, fear does not equal reality necessarily exactly right fear is a is a worry over what might become reality so 
So clearly, I mean, the, the Chinese stock market, look at the, uh, the Hang Seng Hong Kong index collapsing. You look at the um, uh, China 300 stock index, it's, at the low, it's lower than it was during COVID. Um, you know, obviously, the real estate market there has been imploding like it was here in 08, 09. It, it, it's a very much a similar kind of a, a great financial crisis for China specifically. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a great financial crisis for the United States, by the way, but it means that the fear is that because of that, the demand for commodities, especially those commodities that are very much dependent upon Chinese demand, like soybeans, like crude oil, like cotton, you know, certain things that they're heavily, heavily, um, you know, without them, the mark, there is really no market for th- those markets have no business being where they're at. So there's a big fear factor that is now starting to create a cascade of selling. And the more people sell, the more people want to sell. And the more people want to sell, the more other people want to. You know, it's a it's a self fulfilling prophecy, and you and you get into this tailspin uh, capitulation. We're in we're in a panic over China's economy. Uh, they just came out with their numbers. With it. who knows if you can believe them or not, but they didn't look very good. And um, and of course, they're going into their New Year New Year's holiday. So by definition, there will always have poor demand this time of the year because the whole country shuts down pretty much, and they go on vacation right. for a while for a couple of few weeks. Um, in addition, they had these elections in Taiwan and a very pro independent, uh, leader was elected that, uh, uh, Xi Jinping, uh, does not like because, you know, he, he wants to promote independence. He wants to, he does not want to promote integration of Taiwan with China. We, came out and many leaders in, in the West came out and supported this guy that were willing to work with him as an independent uh, government. So, and obviously some very, very uh, nasty language that came from uh, the Chinese secretary of state um, is now putting additional fears that there's going to be an imminent invasion of Taiwan by China and an escalation of tensions between China and the U S and the West and a new trade war like what occurred when Trump uh, was president is going to be kicked off. And, of course, we know that one of the areas most impacted by something like that would be the grain markets, uh, especially the soybean market. So, wow, you got two incredible, uh, fearful scenarios working together side to side, hand in hand and heart to heart to create some very panicky trade in commodities and in especially the grain markets. Um, and so, the, uh, you know, no one can say, Casey, how much longer that kind of capitulation will go on. What we do know is when you start going straight down in any market, you're near, you're closer to the end than you are to the beginning. Okay. Now, does that mean you can't still fall another dollar in soybeans, by the way, right. before it's all over? Right. But when you start, it's like when you go up, straight up, or straight down. When you start to do that, which we are now doing, you're near closer to the end than you are to the beginning. Typically, what how these things end 
or how they turn around is China needs to do something to instill confidence. What did we do during a great financial crisis? The government said we're going to spend a billion dollars or trillion dollars. And the, and the Federal Reserve said we'll print as much money as we need to reflate the system. And we came out of it. And the, the rest is history, right? Right. Well, China needs to do the same thing. They need to do something to instill confidence, to instill that they are doing what is necessary, whether it's fiscal spending, whether it's money printing. And they need, and it does, they've been doing so up to this point, Casey, they've been doing these little baby steps. We did the same thing in 08. We tried to do little band-aids, little band-aids. When you have, when you have a ship that's sinking like this, uh, a big ship sinking like this, band-aids, are going to get ripped off every time. And they have been getting ripped off. I mean, it's not going to work. You need to do something big, bold, aggressive, a blunted instrument. You have to shock the market with, wow, what did you, what, 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 what was that? And you have to bring confidence back that the Chinese ship, that the, that the bilge pump is working and the water is receding and the ship is, is levitating back above water. Um, and until they do that, we're going to be in a panic. And that's how all panics end is something has to change. Some policy has to change with the country and the government that's in trouble to instill confidence. I have no doubt that they will do that. They act differently than we do. They act slower than we do. They're not as impulsive as we are. But they have shown throughout history that they will swing the big stick if need be. So... I think that's what we need to be on the lookout for, Casey. Right now, we have speculators record short in the grain complex as a percentage of open interest or near record short, or in some cases, they are record short. That in itself doesn't mean that the market has to bottom today or tomorrow or next week, but it says that we have everyone fully convinced that there is absolutely no, no way that the grain markets can ever rally again, ever, for the rest of our lives. It's going down forever. That's a very dangerous place to be psychologically in any market is when everyone believes the same thing, that there can be no other alternative uh, price path. So when everyone is leaning on one side of the ship, we need to be very mindful that as ugly and as bearish and as negative and as, uh, and, and as, as hard as it is to see anything that will turn this around anytime soon, that is in fact exactly when it is about to turn, and when it does turn, Casey, as all these panics always do turn, when it does turn, the turn is so fast, it's so abrupt, it's so surprising, it's so shocking, and the the short covering rally is so spectacular that by the time you turn your head through, you know, one back to the, and to the right and to the left, you know, the, the amount that the amount of price. Uh, increases that we could see could be quite startling. And what oftentimes is the case in these instances, farmers that are currently panic selling, and I understand why they are panic selling because they didn't, you know, they, they need to, the bank is forcing them to, you know, they have bills to pay. They didn't, you know, sell when they were supposed to or when they should have all those, th all those reasons. And I understand it, but it, you it, typically you'll find that farmers that sold during this kind of panic We'll look back and see that they locked themselves into a whole horrible year for farm income when prices mean revert and we actually get the, pri the better prices that 
farmers can sell and turn what looks to be a morbidly <clears throat> awful year into a year that could be respectable. And that seems to me where we're heading and where we, what we need to be mindful of. And don't get me wrong. If you have to sell, you have to sell. I mean, if, if, if your banker saying you're, you got, you have to sell, I understand that, but I certainly would try to do everything that I could not to panic in this environment unless you have to. And, and if you, and you, if you find yourself that you have to do something, you know, I certainly would try to do anything that I could and try to do something to try to participate in upside price risks that we think are, you know, likely to come as we move forward into the year and we start seeing some of these other factors shift sentiment. We, we always say that if you go from pitch black to just black, meaning if right now we're at pitch black, sentiment wise, pitch black. If you just go from pitch black to black in any market, whether it's a stock market, through estate market, if you just get a small shift from pitch black to just black, the, the change in the prices of that change in sentiment can be eye-popping. And I've seen it happen over and over and over time and time again. Just a subtle shift and you get a disproportionate shift in, in the pricing Um of the assets that are being uh, that are being aggressively sold in a panic. So, uh, I, so I don't I don't have any 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 great news today to say that I know for sure tomorrow's the day. But I'm just trying to lay out the historical experience of panics. My 35 years of watching markets and grain markets and commodity markets. Uh, that, that that typically these are the times to do your very very best to be patient and and to and to understand how markets work and how greed and fear are always at work in our markets, especially highly leveraged futures markets where most of the positions are are leveraged sometimes ten to one in some aggressive speculative uh, strategies, and if you're ten to one leveraged. And you get a little bit of market going against you. You have to, you know, you have to cover in a hurry, and that's that's the nature of leverage. And any time that you're involved in markets where there's leverage, you have the ability for overshoots and reversions to the mean. So it's probably not necessarily going to make anyone who's listening to the show uh, click their heels and um, and uh, and and uh, you know run down to the bank and tell them how how good uh, they see the future. But it also, t- but I also want to try to put things in perspective. That I don't think this is a um, uh, that this is going to to. I don't believe that when we look back at the end of the year, that the beginning of the year, as bad as it looks, is how we're going to end the year. I think we're going to end the year on a much better footing than we started it, um, and uh, and and we'll look back and say, um, you know, that overall the year provided plenty of good opportunities for farmers to make sales at levels that allowed them to have a a year that was. You know that was at least respectable instead of what we're saying now, which is um, you know something that is uh, very, very um, you know uh, depressing and despondent at the moment. So, right on. Okay, what could possibly go wrong when you're leveraged ten times over? You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it sounds like a sound strategy to me. <laughs> yeah exactly right on all right sean good stuff as usual folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at hackett financial what's the best way to do that our website is hackett h-a-c-k-e-t-t advisors.com we have a uh, twitter page at feridix 11 we also have a linkedin page from time to time we put out stuff on uh 
on our weather cycles and our statistics and, and correlations and how we look at the world in agriculture to see if how we do things and in, in the usual way that we do things and how we price forecasts for farmers might be a value to those watching your show. Right on. And you're out on your speaking tour now, and so you're a, you're a pretty hot commodity right now when it comes to speaking, it seems like. If folks want to hire you to be a speaker, what's the easiest way to do that? Uh, we Our booking agent is the Tiller Group. It's on our website as well if you want to see it. Okay. It's uh, uh, it's ag, agspeakersnetwork.com, I believe, is the website that you go to. It's the Tiller Group. Um, you can give them a call or actually uh, go on the website and send them an email and, and, and talk to them and work on the logistics of getting us uh, to come to your location and uh, how we're going to do that and when we're going to do that and where we're going to do that and all that sort of thing. So that's the best way if you're interested in having me come out um, and talk about our weather work and our unique way of doing things, that would be the best way to get us to come out and, and speak to your group um, as we go into what's what I think is going to be an extremely um, important couple of years coming up with weather, uh, geopolitics, uh, currencies and interest rates all coming together to create some pretty wild price swings that we want to make sure our customers and our producers take full advantage of. Right on. Well, Sean, appreciate you, man. Podcast, man. Safe travels on your way back to Florida. Will do, Casey. Thank you so much. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Go to Moving Iron Podcast on the YouTube channel where you can see it here, plus Snapchat and something called TikTok. Get that one too on Moving Iron at Moving Iron Podcast as well. Go to MovingIronLLC.com for everything Moving Iron related. Moving Iron Summit's coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, not September, November 4th through the 6th. Sean's going to be there giving a couple speeches at uh, some breakout sessions there, talking about what's going on. So looking forward to that. So Sean, appreciate you, man. Uh, with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's move smart, folks. Out. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Find us here Moving on